Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Fire You Can't Put Out. My name is Melvin. As usual, I want to thank you so much for being here. So, let's start off right at the top. Let us talk Confederate monuments. Immediately upon moving out of my dad's home when I was 17 years old, I ended up moving effectively right back into the ghetto. And with that came some of the familiar scenes that I had witnessed when I was growing up. Uh, Dilapidated housing, uh, poor nutrition, um, just general squalor because there's really nothing for us at the bottom. But because minimum wage, when I began working in 1996, was right around four and a quarter an hour, that was about my only option. Within a year of being out on my own and working for little to no pay, I ended up being involved in one of those other really familiar scenes that I had seen in the ghettos growing up. And that was kicking it on the front porch of our apartment complex and openly drinking alcohol during the day. Melvin was far from perfect, but I was beginning to fall into a lot of those traps that I had seen growing up in it. And by the way, that's what it is. It's a trap. The reason we call trap music, trap music, is because it is born out of the ghetto, the deepest, darkest recesses of the ghetto. And it's always been amazing to me, the fact that trap is such a huge style of music now, all of these rich, white, privileged, or not even rich, just middle-class children listening to this music and bobbing their heads and having no idea what they're listening to or where it came from. But as I was kicking it on the front porch with a few other gentlemen, uh, I, I discovered that one of them, uh, who was relatively new to the group, uh, was a teacher. And we got to talking about history and in politics, what little I knew about it back then. And he pointed something out to me. He said, um, and these are all African-American gentlemen that I'm hanging with. And he says, we all have white in us. And he just says this to all these African-Americans, and I'm the only white dude on the stoop. We all have white in us. And they all just kind of looked at him. I kind of looked at him too. Where the hell is this going, man? <laughs> this, you know what? No, no, no. But he said, no, no, no. Think about it. You look at folks that came from Africa. Look at their skin. And look at our skin. He says, every one of us has, has lighter skin because of blending with white folk. And this was a fairly new idea to me. Something I had never really considered. Yes, I had seen the pictures of, of, of folks in Africa where they come from a long line of African people and very, very dark skin. But then I began looking at the folks in America and I go, yeah, they're a little bit lighter than that. And he said, well, and obviously there's no way for there to be a, a, a good consensual relationship between, you know, a slave master and a slave. And he said, 
we were raped. He said, our women were raped by slave owners. And that's how we ended up with this skin color. That idea never, ever left me. Just the idea of, of the folks sweating in the fields all day, toiling for the white man. And then at night, maybe the white man gets a few drinks in him. All of a sudden, this slave starts looking pretty good to him because he doesn't have a wife or, or whatever, or maybe he does. But women have to be so subservient. Perhaps a wife, the slave owner's wife, witnessed him raping a slave and was unable to do anything about it because certainly during that time, it wasn't just slaves who had to know their place. It was women. So this idea came to me again this weekend when I read a New York Times article uh, titled, it's an opinion piece, You Want a Confederate Monument? My Body is a Confederate Monument by Caroline Randall Williams. Quoting here, the black people that I come from were owned and raped by the white people I come from. And who dares to tell me to celebrate them? So the thing that's happening in America right now, and it's pretty clear which side President Trump has decided to take, is the Confederate monuments that have been used as a source of terror towards African Americans. There's a constant reminder that, yes, black people are largely free and black people are allowed to engage in in commerce and, and have businesses and have families and have homes, but never forget, black folk, that the white people are still in charge. During this time where folks are tired of watching the police openly lynch black people, you say, you can't, Melvin, you can't call it lynching because they're not doing it with a rope. Yes, I can. The old days of where they used to decide that an African-American was guilty, never ever to be proven innocent, and they would torture them, strangle them, string them up from a tree, whatever they felt like doing to them. And then they would just hang out a sign that said, a man was lynched yesterday. And that was completely normal. For lynchings, white folks used to turn out to watch what they all assumed was an African-American that stepped out of line, who got lynched. And there are, there are old, you can look at old photographs of white people standing around watching African-American people get lynched. And because that kind of stuff had to go away, Largely in the 50s and the 60s, during the civil rights movement, white folk decided that they were going to have lots and lots and lots of reminders for African-American folks that although they've got some new freedoms, they best not step out of line. And the Confederate flag is chief among them. And so are all of these statues of Confederate generals. The South lost, but for one thing. The fact that they get to put these symbols of terrorism and treason all over the United States. And we rightly so during this time have decided that those things need to come down. And now that those things are coming down, even though the overwhelming majority of white people are standing with black folk during this time, 
there's a handful of them, let's just call them Trump supporters, that have decided that this is the erasing of history if we take these things down, which is an excuse and a piss poor one at that. Because nobody goes around and looks at all the statues and says, now I know American history. You read books, accounts from the time, well put together documentaries, things of that nature, contemporaneous news reports. That's how you learn about history, not statues. But there are some sensitive white folk that have decided that these things cannot come down. Because it's the erasing of history and that we need these monuments. And President Donald Trump has decided to sign an executive order protecting these statues. And that anybody seen bringing one down or being a part of a mob bringing one down gets 10 years in prison. I don't know how legal it is for him to do this. But whether it's in his purview or not. Whether it's in his power, it doesn't matter. He's doing it anyway. Quoting here from the article, I have rape-colored skin. Think about that. This is the article by Caroline Randall-Williams. I have rape-colored skin. My light brown blackness is a living testament to the rules, the practices, and the causes of the Old South. If there are those who want to remember the legacy of the Confederate, if they want monuments, well, then my body is a monument. My skin is a monument. Dead Confederates are honored all over this country with cartoonish private statues, solemn public monuments, and even in the names of United States Army bases. It fortifies and heartens me to witness the protest against this practice and the growing clamor from serious nonpartisan public service servants to redress it. But there are still those like President Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell who cannot understand the difference between rewriting and reframing the past. I say it's not a matter of airbrushing history without adding a new perspective. I am a black Southern woman. And of my immediate white male ancestors, all of them were rapists. My very existence is a relic of slavery and Jim Crow. So for those of you that are concerned that there will no longer be any Confederate monuments, look at just about any African-American person whose family has been here for centuries And generations, and just by the very nature of the light version of their skin, if you, if you white people who do not want these Confederate monuments to come down really need to be reminded of your racist and rapist white Confederate ancestors, it's evident in all of the African American people that we have today in America. I'll never understand why anybody would celebrate a confederacy, a confederacy that fought for slavery. Why that's a good idea in anybody's mind has never made sense to me. I've come to all of these uncomfortable truths. And I have accepted them. And although I do not like them, 
and I often find myself embarrassed by what my white ancestors did. It doesn't stop me from recognizing that it happened. We cannot pretend that these things did not happen. We cannot deny that these things happened just because, just because we're uncomfortable. These things need to be talked about. And the way the dialogue has been changing over the last number of weeks and months has been incredibly inspiring to me. I don't know how, how many people are going to read this particular op-ed. I can't imagine any of them will be, tr- be Trump supporters. But for those of you that are curious and for those of you that really want to understand why change has to happen, never forget the phrase rape-colored skin. I'm not certain how to say his name. Alex Kyung, or Kung, uh, K-U-E-N-G. He's one of the four Minneapolis police officers that has been indicted in the murder of George Floyd. Uh, Obviously, the, the officer that had his knee on George Floyd's neck That's Derek Chauvin. But the other three officers have been indicted in being involved in his death, even though they did not directly have their knee on his neck. They were present at the time and they did nothing about it. The article that I read this weekend about Alex Kong also in the New York Times was that he had helped to fix the police from the the inside. If you've not seen a picture of of ex-officer Alex Kong, Forgive me if I'm butchering his name. I've only read it. I've never heard it said. He is black. He decided to become a police officer after, and reading from the article, he had seen lots of people protesting against the police, and he got it in his mind that the best way to fix the police department is to become involved and to not be one of those officers. And he's catching hell now. He's out on bail, but when people recognize him in public, he catches hell from every corner of this planet. And he likely will until his very last days. As a black officer that stood there and watched this happen to George George Floyd, the death of George Floyd being a turning point in history for him to be a black man, a black officer at that, who was present at the murder of George Floyd, that will never wash off. But this idea that brought him to the police department made him want to be a cop so that he could be a part of the solution and help change things from the inside, that was what I thought about. When I decided to try out to become a police officer uh, so many years ago, it's been over 10 years now, I've since quit because I've moved on to other things, Uh, never forget realizing that I was going to accept... Fifty or sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year in order to be shot at, and that's the kind of money that I make now without being shot at. So I found another way forward, but I caught hell. I caught hell, especially from a lot of my punk rock friends. Who, when you come up in that culture, it's it's very anti-police, and it's not because it's it's anti-law or anti-order or anything stupid like that. But the police. Are, are largely recognized as part of the problem. 
because police are so if it's the old it's the old adage about you know when when every when the only tool you have is a hammer every problem looks like a nail and that's what we do with the police it doesn't matter what it is we we call the police you know if somebody's you know in your backyard at night and they're trespassing you've got to call the police if someone's having a mental health issue you got to call the police some woman's having a baby uh, in the back in the back seat of a car in a parking lot, you got to call the police. If there's a shootout in the bank robbery, you got to call the police. If there's a car accident, you call the police. We have the police doing all of these things, but it doesn't make sense, and that's not made sense to 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 the expanded minds in in the punk and hip hop community, especially for a long time. But I I was also of the mind that I could get involved in policing, and I understanding the some of the issues, not being African-American, but definitely understanding some of the issues there, maybe I could help bring about positive change from the inside. That idea began to die when I sat down for one of my panel interviews. And in the panel interview, they started asking me about killing people. And initially, I just sort of, turned inward and got shy, but eventually, you know, he's, well, you might not be, you might not be good at this job because if it's them or you, you better make sure you're going home at night. Like that's the way that was phrased to me. And I go, man, yeah, I got to make sure I go home at night. So I fail my first interview and I go back for the second interview and I start playing up like I'm tough. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get this job. I'm going <laughs> to be an officer. Right, I'm just kind of, and they asked me again, different panel. Would you be able to kill somebody? Yes. Would you really? Uh-huh. Uh, what if it was somebody you knew? Yes. And they go, really? Kill somebody you know? What about your mom? Yes. Oh, man. And it hit me. I'm not even thinking about this. I'm just responding. Like I'm, I'm already becoming conditioned to do this, but... I think they knew and they could see it in my face that I was not the stone cold killer that they were looking for that would be able to end a human's life at a moment's notice. And I failed another another panel interview. And initially I felt crappy about myself. I drove from Spokane to Seattle for that particular interview. And I remember feeling like like dump walking out of that interview. Just Man, when am I going to get to do this? I'm never going to get to do this. And, and oh my God, that police department may not realize it, but I'm exactly what they need. I had a gigantic beer at a brewery. This is real. Gigantic beer at a brewery, like a 20 or 24 ounce beer. And then I got on the road for the next six hours with this light little buzz. <laughs> and just, you know, still feeling like crap. Got home, told my wife about the interview again, told her how things went. Told her what I thought about on the long ride home and just kind of decided that that's not, uh, maybe that line of work isn't for me. And maybe I'm not going to be able to change things from the inside. So I understand where Mr. Kyung came from, but unfortunately that kind of a path, as noble as it may seem, is not going to be the way forward. Defunding the police is a very popular idea right now. 
And that doesn't mean yank all their money and make them keep working or shut down all police departments. Uh, the conservatives are trying to tell us right now that if we don't have police departments, we're going to be tearing ourselves apart and people's homes are going to be looted and all this. No, 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 no. The police cannot be the hammer and every single problem be a nail. That's the discussion that needs to be had. If someone's having a mental health crisis, those are the professionals we need to call. If somebody has a drug problem, those are the people that we need to call. If there's a car accident, well, maybe somebody with knowledge of the law but not a gun and a badge needs to show up to that particular accident. If somebody's trespassing in your backyard, yeah, okay, maybe. Maybe that's one of the things that the police can handle. But even then, there's going to need to be some deep training with respect to how to talk to people of other races. I'm not anti-cop. And I, I've, never, I've never been. I, I, I believe in the idea of the police department. But in its current iteration and with its roots going all the way back, like the police, the police started as the slave patrols in the South. The folks that went around and would find these runaway slaves and capture them or, or, or kill them, you know, re-enslave them, whatever it took. Like, that's what eventually moved into modern-day police departments. And the police, to some degree, are still doing that today. Capturing and killing unarmed African-American folk. And just getting away with it. Much like they did with the slave patrols 150 years ago. And this is what needs to change about the department. And when we're training these folks, we, we need... The, so these questions that they ask me about what a stone-cold killer I'm able to be, those aren't the questions that should be asked. Unless they're asked in the way of, you're not going to be a stone-cold killer, are you? You should want police that aren't absolutely willing to just kill people at a moment's notice. I understand that police work can be dangerous. And, and rebuilding this trust over a number, and it's going to take years, decades even, to rebuild any sort of trust between the community and the police. But I feel like, and I, we may or may not see it in my lifetime, once we get a more uh, thoughtful, even-handed, deliberative, non-racist police force, we're going to wonder how we got through these times for so long with police being used for all these things that they shouldn't be used for. Hammer and nail. Every damn thing is a nail. We're going to wonder how we got through it all, but we're going to be better for it. Recapping, defunding does not mean stripping their money and killing all the police departments, but it does mean making them more focused and putting people in the jobs that make sense for the situation at hand. All right, let's talk about Trump's silent majority. He says the silent majority is stronger than ever, even though every single poll has him losing and even losing some of the great big red states, there's this idea of a silent majority. Like people that are not declaring themselves as Trumpers, but I swear to God they're Trumpers and they're going to turn out November and they're going to surprise you again. That idea is not impossible. And I will tell you that it's actually probably pretty likely. Let's explain. So there's a gentleman in my neighborhood that for a while decided to fly Confederate flags. Since all the recent hubbub has happened, I have not seen his Confederate flag. 
seems to have been taken down. Did he have a change of heart? Incredibly unlikely. I also haven't seen his motorcycle in a while, which also has two Confederate flags on the back of it. The man's made of Confederate flags. But I haven't seen those lately. Did he change? No, I doubt he did. Another neighbor of mine with the Gadsden flag has decided to not have the Gadsden flag up. They put the Gadsden flag up every, every time or every year around this time. Decided not to have the... Did they have a change of mind? No. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure there's still a bunch of white power Nazis and that's... But, but, but they took it down. Yeah, but I doubt they changed their mind. Another neighbor of mine had a sign that says, We back the badge, which is just one of these generic companies that, uh, that caters to, to racist people. Who, who love the fact that uh, po- the, po- the police at times kill unarmed African-Americans. We back the badge. Well, that house has now taken their we back the badge sign inside. Did they have a change of heart? Not likely. But they took down the sign. So what does it mean? I've, I've posited for a long time. Uh, before any of, this, any of these recent developments, that racism never entirely goes away. It simply goes kind of dormant or, almost, or almost, almost entirely dormant until it needs to rear its head again, and then it will. And with that, I feel like that's what's happening. These folks that have seemingly had a change of heart by taking down their symbols of white, power, white supremacy and... and, and, and what they're really doing is they're just they're letting their racism go dormant. Now, I want to believe that they had a change of heart and that they are better people. But I know better because you don't generally change overnight like that. It's th- those positions, those white power positions are incredibly unpopular right now, according to any recent polling that's been done. But with this racism going dormant, we need to keep the focus the same as we always have. We need to continue to remind people that when you put up that Blue Lines flag or when you put up the Gadsden flag or when you put up the neo-Nazi flag or the Confederate flag, that these are all symbols of white supremacy. And we need to continue to lay on that. Those statues that went up, that's terrorism. You're, you're trying to terrorize a part of your country, citizens of your country, to remind them that white people still have all the power. And what happened with these flags that have all become symbols of white supremacy, it's the same thing. It's terrorism. It's meant to terrorize African-American people. And just because we are seeing fewer and fewer of those signs of white supremacy does not mean that white supremacy has died. Don't get complacent and think to yourself, oh, it's fine. We're totally going to win this November. Because if anybody's determined to turn out this November and make sure that white supremacy does not lose its power on the American people, it's going to be those folks. And even though they might not have their Confederate flag or their Gadsden flag or the Punisher flag or whatever other symbol of white supremacy they have, all 1488, they will be out there in November. And so you need to make sure that you don't, compl- you don't get complacent and you are out there in November as well to let them know that white power will not play in America ever again. 
The mayor of St. Louis, Missouri, decided to reveal the names and addresses of several residents who support defunding the police. BLM protesters decided to march to the mayor's house. The name of the mayor is uh, Lita Krusen and demand her resignation for, for outing those people. Name, it's not just names, names and addresses of where those people live so that they could be terrorized by white supremacists. And as they were walking through St. Louis, a white couple, and this video has been everywhere, came out of the house, the woman with a pistol, the man with what looked like an AR-15, and began pointing those guns at these overwhelmingly black protesters. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This so-called right to bear arms has nothing, nothing to do with protection. If you are really so concerned about America, protecting America, the number one way you can protect America right now is by wearing a mask in public because that reduces the chance of transmitting the coronavirus, by 70%. And people are flat out revolting right now about how it's against God and it's against freedom and, oh, my, just whatever. You have a chance to protect America. Wear your goddamn mask. And instead, they're pissing their pants. Freedom! Wow. Imagine being enslaved for 400 years. And not just having to wear a mask around for like a year and a half. So the fact that these folks, these two white people, these two opulent white people, they live in a gigantic house. Decided to come out of their house and point guns at the overwhelmingly African American protesters. That's what the guns are really for. It's to protect them from people that they are afraid of. And who are these people afraid of? These friends of the old Confederate South, who are they afraid of? African Americans. It's not about shooting intruders. It's not about shooting government officials. Going up against a tyrannical government. It's about keeping African American people in their place. And folks have decided to label these people as Ken and Karen. Karen's become a bit of a derisive name, especially in recent history. And after we begin making these major changes with respect to race in America, I think that's the next hill that we need to climb. We need to do something about the gun problem. So the breaking point for America was watching George Floyd die on videotape while he said for 8 minutes and 43 seconds that he can't breathe. We've already seen uh, 20... First graders murdered, cut in half in their, in, their, in, their, in, their, in, their, in their school. And that wasn't a breaking point for America. But the difference is George Floyd's murder was caught on tape. I almost wonder if Americans saw the carnage that was caused by how, how common and how easy guns are to get. The kind of destruction that's being done because having a gun is seen as a right. Maybe we need the same thing. Maybe we need to see the bodies of those children. 
maybe we need to see the tapes of that destruction. And then maybe, just maybe, that too can become the breaking point for America where we do something about this problem. Guns have never, ever, ever been about protection. It's always been about keeping the black people at bay. The same as the Confederate statues, the same as the stars and bars, the same as the Gadsden flag, the same of all these symbols of white power. It's all been about keeping African-American people down. And it's time for it to come to an end. I don't think a gun ban would work. Banning anything doesn't work. But we, once again, we need to change the idea of what it really means when we advocate for such destructive policies. The Texas Supreme Court has already said that we do not need to send a ballot to every single person in Texas in order for them to vote. So that means that they're going to have to risk their lives to go out and vote. Hey, we're probably all going to have to go out and risk our lives to vote this November. So be ready for that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here on the fire you can't put out. Our official home is tfycpo.podbean.com. Questions, comments, hate mail, just a general statement or inquiry, you can email us at tfycpo at gmail.com. We work hard to not only inform and entertain, but also to keep an open dialogue with you, our listener base. So feel free to reach out to us. And as always, thank you for listening. We are the fire you can't put out, and we will prevail. Rejecting austerity in favor of prosperity. Special thanks to Kevin for producing, and thank you for listening. This is Melvin, signing off. And now that I've woken you up, Good morning.